Do we have a natural desire for God, or is our desire for God a supernatural gift? This was one of the most debated theological questions of the 20th century. In this episode of Physically Spiritual, I will explore how this theological debate can inform our approach to healing. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. As we get started, I want to invite everyone to download the new Awaken app. The Awaken app contains all the episodes we release here at Awaken Catholic in a prayer library. And for members of the Awaken Nation, there are premium features, including interaction with show hosts and extra talks. Go to theawakenapp.io to download the Awaken app for Android or Apple devices. If you want to support everything we're doing here at Awaken Catholic, consider joining the Awaken Nation. Go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate. We're also partners with the Hollow app here at Awaken. The Hollow app is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. The Hollow app contains guided meditations, sleep stories, there's free daily content that's uploaded, and also a premium membership. If you want to uh, sign up for a, a free trial membership of the Hollow app, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken. And finally, if you want to go deeper in any topics on that we talk about on the show or become a member of my coaching practice, go to becominggift.com. So today on Physically Spiritual, we are going to be talking about naturally supernatural healing. And like I said, this, um, this topic came up as a, a big part of, of a debate and an ongoing theological conversation that honestly isn't fully resolved yet. There's uh, still theologians publishing books and articles on this topic. So in the show notes of this episode, I'm going to have uh, kind of a little bibliography uh, to different books and articles on this topic. If you really want to dig in to this uh, debate about uh, pure nature and if we have a, nat- a supernatural, a natural supernatural desire for God, uh, but before we get into the theological terms, I want to set the stage by talking a little bit about what we mean by nature. What is nature? So I think when we say this word nature, our, our uh, viewpoint on it has been really affected by our modern worldview, by the way we see the world really through modern philosophy. So this modern worldview reduces nature to what can be measured or what can I, I can experience through my senses. So from this perspective, what's natural is what I see, taste, smell, what I might put under a microscope or what I might pick up with a scientific instrument. And then what's supernatural would be anything I can't see. And, and there's really two extremes to this modern view. One just completely denies the supernatural world at all. It says that all there is is the physical world. And, and, and I would say that this um, material reduction of the world to just what we can experience with our senses or measure with an instrument um, is one extreme. And then on the other extreme is, is kind of almost like a mystical idealism, right? That, that 
we as humans, there's something spiritual about us, something supernatural about us that the rest of, of what we see in the world doesn't have. And so what we do is we separate ourselves from nature, right? So, so I'm separate from nature. And what goes along with this worldview a lot of times is that in order to uh, create order in the world, I have to impose my will on it. Right? So we see these two extremes play out uh, in our, our modern ideas about, about health, about uh, the environment, and about uh, the relationship between uh, maybe industry or science and uh, what we see in nature. So I would say on the one extreme, there's, there's a romanticism about it. Right? So the problem is civilization. The problem is the overuse of technology. So all we have to do is return to the natural environment. Uh, th- this kind of romanticism about nature uh, could be typified by what we call the, the noble savage myth. And this is the idea that ancient peoples before society was introduced, before culture was introduced, had this, uh, this kind of nobility about them. And this is illustrated by our star- story, Tarzan, that's often told. On the other hand, there's this idea that, that we're sort of naturally disordered and inclined to vice. And, and so what we need to do is with, uh, with the social contract, with law, with the imposition of the human mind, we need to impose order on nature. We need to subjugate nature to our will in order to get what we want out of it. And this applies to ourselves, right? I need to subjugate myself and it applies to the world around us. I need to use my will to power uh, on nature to get what I want out of it. So these, these two extreme views... Uh, neither of them, I think, are fully Christian. There, there's something about each that might capture part of the truth, but both of them are, are in, in some way, a perversion of the truth. Uh, so from a Christian worldview, we don't just talk about nature. We talk about the idea of creation, right? God did certain things from an, an act of creation, making something from nothing. And, and what, what uh, we might say that what it was created is natural, right? What, what God made when he created the universe is natural. So from this perspective, um, things that we don't experience with our senses are also natural because my soul was created when I was created and also the angels are a part of creation too. So from this perspective, the angels and my soul are, are natural and what's supernatural, what's above nature, that is supernatural above nature is God's grace and God himself. Uh, so, so from this perspective, uh, we can we can look at it um, maybe from the story of salvation, from the perspective of what we see in Scripture. So, so there was God's original plan, uh, what what God had originally designed, what God had originally hoped for in the natural order, and then as a result of sin, there's a disruption to that original plan, and then God comes in with His rescue mission and saves us through through the covenants, through Christ's incarnation, and ultimately. Uh, the saving work of Christ on the cross. Um, but here, in the meantime, we're receiving the grace that God's offered through the sacraments and through, through grace, through prayer. Um, but it's a here but not yet reality. Where we, we begin to experience this redemption through these, uh, these realities in the church and the sacraments and the grace of our spirituality. But then it's ultimately fulfilled in the life to come, in heaven. All right, so let's, let's adjust our view. If, if we are experiencing 
Um, either of those two modern extremes, those two lies, either that all that there is is what can be measured on the one hand, and on the other hand, that, that I'm not a part of nature as a human person, um, we need to peel back both of those lies and enter into it with Christian lenses uh, and being informed with what we discover in the scripture and in the truth of our faith. All right, so now let's circle back to this 20th century theological debate that, that continues on. Uh, we might think of it from two perspectives. One is that there is a state of pure nature. So this, this one side of the debates, debate says that as a result of sin, uh, humanity lost the grace of God and then was placed in a state of pure nature. So this state of pure nature um, is is what where we find ourselves when Christ redeems us. And this state of pure nature is a state of, of turmoil, is, is a state of, of conflict. There's a conflict in the human person between uh, the desire in, in the body and then also what we find in the soul and what we find through reason. Uh, on, the, on the other hand of the debate, we might say that humans are naturally supernatural, that even after sin, there's still a, a, some supernatural component to the person that on, on some level, there, there's something about the human person that's still drawn to God, even after original grace is, uh, is lost. Um, so the two figures in the history of Catholic theology that, that sort of typify the two sides of this debate would be a, a great theologian, Henry de Lubach, um, he uh, reintroduced this idea of, of naturally supernatural. And on the other side was uh, Father Reginald Garrigou Lagrange, another great theologian. And he was defending this idea of pure nature. Now, I don't want to get super deep into this debate because, uh, like I said, it's honestly not even resolved yet. Um, and, and there's many theologians still writing books and papers on this topic. So refer to the notes to get a bibliography if you want to dig deep into this topic. But for the, the sake of, uh, of the episode, I want to just outline um, some of the general ideas of it and then circle back to uh, our idea of healing and what this means for how we should live our life. So the, the way that this debate is often characterized is this, with this central question, do we naturally have a desire for God or is our desire for God the result of a supernatural gift? Meaning after sin, uh, do we only have a, a desire for God after we're redeemed or does this desire for God remain even after sin happens and before God intervenes? I think we, we cut through this debate a little bit by looking at it from the perspective of the story of the scripture. So when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about uh, humanity before sin, he talks about them having an integral nature, integral nature, meaning an integrity to the whole human person. And I like to think of this as a harmony, harmony between uh, what the human mind knows, what the human passions desire, and the natural law the design of God in, in creation outside of humanity. So there's this, this integrity, this harmony amongst the whole person. And then there's corrupt nature. So as a result of sin, there's both a loss of grace and damage to human nature. 
And we've talked about this damage to human nature in previous episodes, that this is, is a darkening of the human will or a darkening of the human uh, mind, the reason in the person. And then the human will is turned towards what's evil. That rational appetite of the soul is is uh, turned toward what's not best for us. And then the human passions are weakened and, and exaggerated. So the sense appetite in us is drawn to things that aren't good for us and at the wrong place, the wrong time, too much, too little, etc. So there's this damage to our human nature. So interpreters of St. Thomas Aquinas later on, uh, although they, they believe that they were uh, faithfully um, interpreting his teaching, there was a later view um, that sin only leads to a loss of grace. So the, the loss of grace of original justice, and then the disorder that we find in the human person is just the human's natural state or that state of pure nature that we were talking about. And then on, on the other hand, uh, we, we would have um, the other side of the opinion is that there's something of the human person that remains drawn to God, attracted to God, even after the fall, right? There's something naturally supernatural about humanity. I'm not going to um, even attempt to go deeper on this debate, and I'm already, I think, um, probably obscuring it a little bit, just as I'm searching for the language to describe it. Uh, so if you want to go deeper into this, refer to that bibliography in the show notes. Uh, there's many books and articles you can dig into it. But I think for our conversation, when we're applying this idea to our life, um, we're essentially asking the question, um, when God is healing me, what's happening? What's the role of, of God's grace? And what's the role of my will? To what extent um, is, is this my salvation just an imposition of grace from the outside on me as a human person? And to what extent is this a healing process where my nature is being brought back to God's original plan, God's original design? I would propose that as we're thinking about this question, we, we avoid two different extreme approaches. On the one extreme, we might call it a, a, a purely natural healing and then a purely supernatural healing, right? That we, we would have this strong break between the natural order and the supernatural order. So I might uh, say on, on one hand, I could ask for God to heal me or receive a sacrament or something. And then through that grace, God would come and heal me. And then on the other hand, I might have a, a purely natural healing process that I go through. And this would be something like me uh, changing my diet or going to a doctor or receiving uh, some other medical intervention. So there would be a, a sort of a purely supernatural healing. And then on the other hand, a, a purely natural kind of healing. Uh, so I think that we should, um, we should allow there to be some gray in this. Let me explain why. So I, th I think as Christians, we should ask for God to heal us. We should ask for supernatural healing. We should ask for miracles to happen. This is what the, the apostles did. This is what the early church did. And we see this played out in the lives of the saints throughout the history of the church. Uh, people ask for miracles and God works miracles. Um, but sometimes God doesn't heal people. Maybe you yourself have prayed over someone and they weren't healed or prayed for someone and they weren't healed. I know I've prayed over people and prayed for people and they haven't been healed. 
Um, so, so if we take this strong break between the natural and the supernatural, we might think that if God doesn't supernaturally intervene with a miraculous healing, that God's abandoned us, that God's left us to our own designs, that, that we're sort of condemned to our, our brokenness, uh, whatever it might be. Um, so I think that as we, as we approach this, this supernatural healing topic, um, I think that when God doesn't heal us, it, it invites us into a relationship with God. That we're invited into a relationship that while it is us striving for wholeness, it is us uh, seeking out seemingly natural interventions to grow and to heal, uh, there's also a supernatural component that endures, that God's grace is present in the process, that God um, inspires us, gives us the idea of, of where to look for the healing. God comes alongside the will, gives us grace to go beyond um, our nature by uh, the gift of faith, hope, and love, and also gives us the grace to uh, perfect our nature, to heal our nature, especially through the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. So how do we do this? How do we, one, ask for miraculous healing, and then two, go through a natural healing process? First, on, on miraculous healing, when God works miraculously in the world, these are gratuitously given graces. Now, that's, that's a kind of theological terminology, meaning it's an actual grace that's given to us but it's for others. Meaning when God gives us this grace, a grace through us to another person for a miraculous healing, it, it's not necessarily dependent on my personal sanctity. It's not because of um, what I've done. It's because of what God wants to do through me. And we have to keep this in mind um, when, we're, when we're thinking about how to do this. Um, I would invite you to go back to episode four of Physically Spiritual, and I talk a little bit more about these different types of grace as an introduction to this topic. So go back to episode four if this idea of a gratuitously given grace is a new idea. I first encountered um, a miraculous healing in my life when I was on a pilgrimage to Our Lady the Angels Monastery in, in Alabama. So at the time, uh, Mother Angelica was still alive, uh, but she had um, had some serious health issues. So there was a priest that came to the monastery who was known to have a healing gift. Uh, early on in, in his young priesthood, he had um, just had the, the inspiration in a moment to pray over someone he saw on the street uh, who was unable to walk. He, he pray, had prayed over this person, and they literally got up and started walking. There was this miraculous healing. And, and then after that, he was spooked by it. He was scared by it. He, I don't know if he didn't want the attention or what, um, but he, he didn't keep praying over people until he was literally ordered by his bishop um, to, to do this healing ministry. And so at the time that I encountered him, he was spending a lot of his time traveling around the third world, praying over people with incurable diseases. And so this priest was making a visit to Our Lady of the Angels Monastery, uh, specifically with the in intention of praying over Mother Angelica, who was the, the founder of the community there and also the founder of uh, EWTN. Um, and, but while he was there, he offered prayer for anyone that was there, anyone that was visiting the monastery. 
we were there. I was there for a week with some of my friends. And while I was there, uh, there was this woman whom every day, um, the, the monastery is kind of up on a hill. And every day she would be at the bottom of the hill in a, her wheelchair. And she would ask for someone to push her up the hill. Um, and, and people often did. Um, now, she was there for this uh, this uh, a prayer time where this priest was praying over one, everyone for healing. And after the prayer time, we had an opportunity to go meet with some of the sisters from the cloister. Uh, it's a cloistered community there. Uh, so they, they live separate from the world. And they have these uh, rooms called a parlor where there's a screen between you and the, you and the sisters. Uh, so we were on our way over to one of the parlors and there was a small courtyard. And as we walked through this courtyard... Uh, this woman was walking around this courtyard, pushing her wheelchair, asking people if they wanted rides. <laughs> it was spectacular. Like this, this woman was in a wheelchair before. I think, um, I think maybe she had some ability to walk, but she just couldn't, um, couldn't make it up the hill and couldn't uh, walk from place to place, what she needed to do from everyday life, uh, to the point where now she was pushing the wheelchair asking other people if they wanted rides. Uh, it was amazing. But like I said, everyone who asks for healing doesn't receive it, right? And maybe you've experienced this, and certainly everyone that was there that asked for healing didn't receive it. In fact, uh, I think Mother Angelica, whom he was there to pray over, didn't receive uh, the same kind of miraculous healing. Um, I think I, I heard a rumor that maybe she had gotten a little bit better in her condition, um, but hadn't recovered all the way. So how should we do this in our day-to-day life? I think, um, first, you just need to do it. Uh, You might ask, who has this? This ability to heal isn't a superpower, right? It's not a grace given to us because we're so great and we're so holy and we're so amazing. It's not about... um, about me like having some supernatural healing prayer uh, center where people come and I pray over them and God heals them and then they pay me money. It's not about me becoming a superhero who goes around the world uh, you know, using God's grace for the betterment of humanity. And it's not about um, me at all. It's about the other person. It's about God working in, in the world in a way to build up faith. Um, so when we go about it, we have to realize that it's not about us. Where the Spirit is, healing can happen. I'll say that again. Where the Spirit is, healing can happen. And from our belief in our Catholic faith, we believe we receive the Spirit by receiving the sacraments of initiation. So by baptism, and especially by confirmation, we receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Paragraph 1302 of the Catechism states, It is evident from its celebration that the effect of the sacrament of confirmation is the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit as once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. So the grace we receive from the sacrament of confirmation is the same grace that the apostles received on the day of Pentecost. Um, I've been formed in my thinking about this by Bart Schutz from the John Paul II Healing Center, and I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes to, uh, to their programs there, which are, are excellent if you want to be trained and equipped to pray over people for healing. 
But this this isn't a, a, it isn't a, some special super Christian who does this. It's every Christian who can do this because to be Christian is to receive the Holy Spirit and where the spirit is healing can happen. So so number 1 is you have to try. You have to do it. God wants to do it through you. So if you don't put yourself out there with the possibility of God not answering your prayer in the way you expect, with the possibility of, of maybe being made fun of or being rejected, right? If, if you don't put yourself out there, it's not going to happen. And two, if you've received the sacraments, you have the gift of the Spirit. And you might ask for someone to pray over you, to, to, um, to have this Spirit stirred up in you more. But if you've received the sacraments, you have the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, healing can happen. Now, practically, what should you do? Um, one is don't be weird. This is something that, that Bart teaches in his conferences. Don't be odd. Don't be strange. Just be friendly. Be natural. Be human. Right? Talk to the person. Introduce yourself to the person. Um, two, ask them if they want to be prayed over. Uh, you know, don't impose prayer. Don't force prayer on the person. Just simply ask them, uh, would you like prayer? Would you like to see if God would heal you in this moment? Three, people often find it helpful to, to lay their hands on the person, to pray over the person. So ask permission before you would ever touch anyone, right? That might go without saying, but it's worth saying, you know, God isn't limited by uh, by the laying on of hands, but God often in the scripture chooses to use the laying on of hands to work. Um, so, so God can still heal the person even if you don't touch them, but it might be helpful to do that only when it's appropriate. Um, one thing that you might do if the person isn't comfortable is they might put their hand on themselves and then you may or may not put your hand on their hand. Um, so that, that would, would be something you might also consider. So one, you have to be willing to try and do it. Two, be normal. Don't be weird. Three, ask permission. And four, ask permission if you were to lay your hands on them. And then the fifth step is just to pray. Just to pray. And a few things you might want to, to integrate into your prayer is, one, calling on the grace that comes from Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Right? All graces were given come from Christ's one sacrifice on the cross, his salvific act. So if God's going to work, it's, it's through Christ. So call on the name of Christ, ask for the grace through Christ's saving act on the cross. Two, uh, pray specifically for whatever the healing is. Right, If it's the person's arm that's damaged, pray specifically for healing on the, in the arm. Maybe if it's... Uh, if it's cancer, pray specifically for the cancer to be removed. Um, if the person has some kind of uh, mental illness or something like that, pray specifically for the brain to be healed or, or for uh, the, 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 the psychological wounds to be healed that go along with that. So whatever it is, pray specifically for it. And then finally, after you pray for the person, check in with them. Sometimes people will experience sensations, sensations of warmth, of tingling, um, sometimes uh, the healing might happen in stages. This actually happens in the scripture where Christ prays over somebody to have vision and then they, they sort of see blurry and then they, he prays over them again and then their vision becomes perfect. So sometimes there's a, there's a process of healing multiple times. So ask the person to check in. 
to, to physically maybe move the part that's, that's hurt. If maybe if their wrists are injured, ask them to move their wrist. If they had a pain when they walked, see if they could walk around. Ask them if there's any improvement, any sensation in the body. And then from that, you might pray over them again. Uh, so this is a simple process to pray over someone for healing or pray for someone for healing. But like I said, sometimes God doesn't heal that way. Sometimes God doesn't intervene miraculously in the world. And, and why is this the case? Well, I think there's always a mystery to this because we're asking ourselves about God's will. We're asking ourselves about God's design. And our human minds can never get to the bottom of that. There's always some mystery in it. Um, so I want to start by acknowledging that. But we, we can say something about it. When these miraculous healings are a sign of the kingdom. It, it's a sign of God working in the world. But the kingdom is here, but not yet. So if, if every time we prayed over someone, they were healed, there would be no need for faith, right? You could simply do a, a, a scientific trial where on the one hand, the person might take a, a medicine to be healed. And on the other hand, we're going to line up a bunch of Christians who pray over people to get healed, right? And we would just demonstrate that God exists by these miraculous interventions in the world. So God chooses sometimes to heal as a sign of his kingdom, as a sign to build up the people of God in faith. Uh, and, and other times, he doesn't. An, another thing we might consider as to why God heals sometimes and others other times not is because I think God's playing the long game with us, right? We sometimes think of our lives in just the immediate, right? What, what I'm experiencing in the immediate moment. But, but the way that God's working in our lives always for our best interest is in light of our eternity, right? So there might be something about the sufferings of this life that we, we can join to the sufferings of Christ. St. Paul in his writings actually says that in our sufferings, we fill up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. So there's something about our suffering that is salvific, is, is uh, uh, teaching us about what it is to be human. Uh, we, we're joining in what Christ has gone through in the cross. And by this, uh, we believe that grace is coming into the world by our participation in Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. So sometimes, as difficult as this is, it might not actually be in our best interest to be healed uh, because we are made for the kingdom, which isn't fully realized until eternal life, the next life in heaven. So although by God's action, the kingdom comes to earth, it's always here, but not yet. So there are times when... Uh, it's actually maybe better for us to go through uh, a natural healing process or even to endure what, what we're suffering. Uh, and, and we have to have a, 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 an ultimate, uh, significant, massive amount of compassion for people in this situation. Um, it's not their fault. It is um, in God's providence, we could say, um, what's in their best interest. And sometimes I think it's it's a yellow light kind of situation, right? The yellow light means slow down uh, when we're when we're looking at a traffic sign. So sometimes God wants to work a miraculous healing, but not yet. Meaning God wants us to go through some natural process of of seeking Him, and then at the after a while, then the healing will happen. 
All right. So um, let's circle back to our original idea that we don't want to have um, this, this black and white breakdown of the supernatural order or pure nature and then the supernatural order, but that there's something naturally supernatural about us. Um, and so I would propose that even if God doesn't miraculously heal when we ask him, that it's not God abandoning us. And, and by this, we could uh, uh, look at the other kind of actual grace. These are actual graces that are given for us, right? These, these miracles are graces given through us for others. There's also actual graces given for us. This is first elevating grace and second healing grace. Grazia elevans and grazia sanans. So elevating grace is what takes us, elevating us beyond our natural state. These are specifically the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, making us like God in the world. And these, uh, these healing graces are the graces given to heal our corrupted nature, our wounded nature as a result of sin. And these are the, the uh, cardinal virtues of prudence, specifically healing our, our, our reason, that we would know what to do, uh, what's best in the moment, how to, how to follow God's will in the moment, God's natural design in the moment. Um, second would be the gift of justice. Justice is specifically healing the human, human will, our rational appetite, our ability to do what's good and avoid what's evil. And then also the gift of temperance. Temperance would be um, healing our sense appetite, our, the concupiscible part of the sense appetite, or our passions, our passions toward what is attractive. And then finally, the gift of fortitude. Fortitude is healing and strengthening our sense appetite or our passions toward the irascible, towards things that are difficult. Right? It gives us the, the patience, perseverance, strength to face difficult things. So these, these virtues are grown in us both by God giving us grace, right? God always initiates the grace in us, and then we have to cooperate with the grace. Right? So, so you might ask the question, where does grace stop and the will start? <laughs> or where does my will stop and grace start? Um, once again, I would invite you uh, to accept the fact that there's some gray in that, right? When, when we really think of a human action, like, like let's say earlier today I was facing some difficulty and I, and I prayed and God, ins- right? So in that moment, God gave, maybe inspired me to pray. And then I cooperated with that inspiration and I prayed. And then when I faced that difficult thing, I had both received an actual grace to face it, to, to do the right thing. And then I, I also had to make a choice with my will. Um, so there's this interplay between my will and grace that happens. Um, and so when I, when I think about that action I did, right, well, where did grace stop and my will begin? The answer to that question is I don't know. Right? There, there is some mystery in that. There is some gray in that. Um, but what we do know is that, that grace is a gift from God. God's initiating the good in us, and we're cooperating in that. And by that cooperation, we don't just um, remain the same. It's not like this, um, this, uh, this battle between um, my body and soul 
just remains there. And I, and I remain completely dependent on God's grace to empower my soul to dominate my body. No, no, by this process of me doing the good, inspired by God's grace and cooperation with God's grace, I'm changed. My whole human nature is changed. My body's changed and my soul is changed. Uh, and I grow in these virtues in my soul and in my body, I grow in health. Uh, and so there's this, this process of cooperation, of collaboration between my will and God's grace. I think um, when I think of this image, I, I've, I've heard it said before, uh, sort of a, a metaphor of heart surgery, <laughs> that God is like a, a surgeon that comes into our life uh, and, and God heals us. God's changing our heart. God's changing our will. Um, but in heart surgery, the patient doesn't exactly know what the surgeon is doing, right? The patient is, is sort of put to sleep and then the surgeon cuts them open and, and works on them. So the patient doesn't need to know the anatomy of the heart. Uh, the patient just, uh, sort of gets the direction from the surgeon, submits themselves to it. And then afterwards, uh, the body heals. So sometimes like, like this happens, this kind of healing happens Someone prays over us or we pray and God changes us. There's a miracle that happens. But on the other hand, I think as Christians, we're invited, uh, so to speak, into medical school. There's an adage that's thrown around that, that wounded people wound people and healed people heal people. We're either a wounded wounder or a healed healer. <laughs> and I would propose we're probably always some mixture of both. And we're just on a journey of becoming more of the healed side and less of the wounded side. So as Christians, we're not just uh, submitting ourselves as a patient. We're also called to become the divine surgeon in the world, right? We're called to be other Christs in the world, working for others' healings. Um, so from this image, I would propose that in, in this spiritual medical school we're all invited to, that I'm my own cadaver, <laughs> So, so in medical school, they do these labs where they, they work on cadavers. They, they cut open people whom have donated their body to science so that these medical students can become familiar with the human body uh, before they ever work on, on a live patient. Uh, and, and, they, and they get this practical knowledge and wisdom of, of how to do surgery on people or how to heal people by working on these cadavers. So in the spiritual life, we're our own cadaver, <laughs> Right, so so Saint Paul says the wages of sin is death. So to some extent, because of my cooperation, my participation in sin, that damage to my nature, part of me is dead, and, and Christ wants to bring it back to life. It's here, but not yet. Um, so I go through this process of of growth in the spiritual life. Some things Christ will just heal through the sacraments that I receive through prayer. Uh, some things will just be changed. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life, that when you went through a conversion experience, there were some things that God just lifted. You, you don't struggle with those sins anymore. God just changed your life. Other things, maybe you, you went through, um, through some growth and some struggle, but they went away pretty quick. And then there are probably some other areas of your life uh, that God has seemed to just leave them there. Right? And like I said, I'm, it's an invitation into this collaborative process of growth, of, of healing, of correcting your nature, 
uh, in cooperation with grace. Uh, some spiritual writers have called these places where we're invited to this long struggle a predominant fault or maybe a core wound. Um, and so as we work through this process of encountering our brokenness, of receiving God's mercy, of receiving God's inspiration, we're, we're learning about, uh, about sin. We're learning about the spiritual life, right? Our, our, our ongoing struggle is, is forcing us um, to go deeper, to go deeper into ourselves and deeper into the teachings of our faith. Um, heck, this, this podcast is largely the result of my own journey, right? Dealing with my own brokenness, dealing with my own sins that, that God hasn't just miraculously lifted from me and, and, and struggling through these things. And, and in that process, learning about the truths of the faith and the truths of my body. Um, so what you're seeing is, is basically um, me being in this spiritual medical school and then trying to share with you the little bit I've learned um, as I've gone through the beginning of this journey. So I want to invite you on this journey with me. Go from being a wounded wounder to a healed healer. Uh, enroll in this spiritual medical school, but realizing that, that you're your own cadaver. Right? Some things, ask the Lord to heal you. Ask other people to pray over you. Ask other people to pray for you, and God will heal you. God will change you. But some things he won't. Some things the Lord will leave. And like I said, when that happens, it's either because he wants to heal them later or it's actually in your best interest to struggle with those things, to, to, to join your sufferings with the sufferings of Christ, um, to go through a, a process where you're, you're learning the, the deep secrets of your own heart, uh, the deep uh, truth that we find in the teachings of our faith, the wisdom that we can learn about the way that our body, mind, and soul works. And through this process, uh, you become someone who is another Christ in the world, right? Then, then you can heal others of what they're broken and damaged of too. Uh, you can pray over them for healing. Uh, you, can, you can help guide them through their own healing process. You can be there and, and be uh, an agent for the kingdom being manifest here in the world. So as I conclude, I just want to uh, remind you to, to download the Awaken app, theawakenapp.io. You can pick it up on your Android or your, your Apple device. Um, also, uh, if you want to support everything we do here, uh, consider joining the Awaken Nation. And we're also partners here with the Hollow app. Uh, and if you want to go deeper on any of these topics or uh, we want a little help applying these things from your life, go to becominggift.com. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.